You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome. Thank you for joining another session of Future Proof Workplace. We're excited to be being to continue on with the show that we think is so really important. And I don't know if anybody has seen the uh, latest um, section of the New York Times on Sunday uh, about visionaries in leadership. And it's really true that this 21st century is going to be the most important century for leaders. And Leadership is dramatically not changing. It was always about people and it was always about dignity and it was always about treating people with respect and it was always about empowering others and not being about yourself. And if you think even even yourself, if you think about the great people or leaders that you worked with, they were not people who um, put down others. They were not people that uh, generally worked for their own personal aggrandizement, although we all know leaders like that. They were people who, uh, perhaps in some cases, were uh, e- even quiet leaders, leaders that you know weren't big corporate titans or weren't elected officials, but but leaders who did wonderful things for the world and for people. And uh, Morag and I both confirm in our book that leadership of today is really going to be about building human capability. And why that's so important? Because technology is going to be taking over in ways that we could never even imagine. And it's going to continue to be taking over. It's rare. It will be a rare job and a rare business that does not run on technology. And what technology is going to be able to do can do great things to build human capacity, or it can do things that are destructive and can control people and hold people down. And I think it's our obligation in the future of work and thinking about the future is to think about how we as leaders can be those people that build human capacity. And that's why I'm so excited to have my guest, Seth Matson with us today. Seth is somebody who has done so much work in this um, area. He's done a tremendous amount of research. He has his own business. Uh, He's really looking at what the future of work is all about. And I think he has some great insights to share with us. And it, it, it's it's about freedom, trust, experimentation, and it can only be be embraced with courage. And I think that's a lot of what Seth is all about. So thank you, Seth, for joining the show. Linda, thanks so much for having me. It's just great to great to have you on. And you and I are going to be bookends for an upcoming conference shortly. So that's going to be we awesome. are we are. Very exciting. I think that's coming up in two or three weeks in Chicago now. It, it is. It is. And so, so you know, tell me about your, you know, you're all about leadership and you speak on this. You're CEO of your own company. Um, what, what, what got you to work on studying leadership in the first place? So 
So I think it started out very early on. I actually grew up on a, f- a fourth generation farm in Minnesota. So I grew up working alongside my, my father, my grandfather, and, and my great-grandfather. Uh, and my great-grandfather was born in 1910. So just, you know, a remarkable man. And he was, a, he was a history buff and a storyteller. And he just gave me access into you know, decades of stories and, and history. And I, I think I just early on was sort of influenced by this idea of how each generation sort of showed up and saw the world and, and how they showed up, particularly from a leadership perspective, each generation had their own unique story, their own unique way of looking at the world. And I, I saw it sort of evolve through these, these three generations of men. And of course I had, I had strong women in my life as well, but particularly working on the farm in the fields, you know, sort of exposed to these three men. And so it, it, it was sort of just kind of innately swirling around my life all the time and sort of naturally called me into that field of study. I went to university, studied business, went into management consulting thereafter. And, and early on in my management consulting career, working with leaders for a particular firm that did executive alignment work and culture change activities, uh, I was feeling in particular some of the the generational gaps that were existing between just even myself and our and our clients because there was oftentimes a a 30 year age gap between us and as you can imagine Linda oftentimes they were looking at me as you know 30 years younger than them of you know what in the world are you going to tell me about leadership and culture change right and right. so to sort of bridge the gap and form a connection I just I just sort of naturally pivoted and started asking them about their their younger workforce. And this is in the, you know, mid 2000s and so we we hadn't really had the the tsunami of millennial information hit yet and uh all of the pain sort of started pouring out of our clients. And it was sort of early field research of like, wow, oh my god, this is this is kind of really a thing. And, and for the first time, Linda, my, my age sort of served as a benefit because I had these very senior leaders sort of looking at me as like, maybe you could be my inside guide as to how these next generations are showing up. And so I actually started really diving deep into the theory of generational dynamics and, and, and how these generations were being formed and shaped and where the challenges were occurring in the workplace. And so I spent actually five years, I ended up going into the marketplace and finding two best-selling authors and thought leaders. One was named David Stillman. Uh, his colleague was named Lynn Lancaster, and they wrote a bestseller back in 2002 called When Generations Collide. And then I got to help collaborate with them in the writing of their, their book on millennials called The M Factor, which mm-hmm. came out in, in 2009. And uh, just a phenomenal opportunity because of the platform that David and Lynn had created to start not only doing deeper research into the theory, but to start speaking on the subject and to be able to start working with category leading brands and high performing leaders that were in particular trying to get their arms around millennials. And after five years of doing that work, David and Lynn, uh, 
decided that they were going to move into retirement and sort of the next opportunities in their life. And it gave me a perfect opportunity to sort of pivot my research and my focus to go beyond just thinking exclusively in terms of generations and to start thinking in terms of the larger trends of the future of work and future of leadership, in particular leadership. And, uh, and for the past five years, just based on that momentum, and I feel very, very fortunate. I feel like one of the luckiest people in the world to have been given this opportunity to, as you mentioned earlier, we're going to be speaking, sharing a stage in a few weeks. That momentum sort of carried forward, and uh, we've been able to, to 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 be on stages with almost now half of the Fortune 100, and and many just about every single industry under the sun as it relates to their their trade associations to kind of start these conversations around who must we become as leaders in order to navigate this future of work? What are going to be the big trends? And and so that's that's been a little bit of of my history and journey of just sort of ultimately landing in this place today where uh, myself and, and our organization, Luminate Labs, and we've got a, a revolving staff of, of full-time and, and, and uh, independent contractors that go from five to 10 employees, five to 10 freelancers, thinking exclusively about helping leaders navigate the future of work. And so as you and I, have, our, our universes have collided, I've been so excited to connect and, and be exposed to the great thought leadership and research that, that, that you've been a part of. So I love that story. It's a great story, Seth. And, you know, starting out with your grandfather and your great-grandfather, what, what a beautiful segue. And what, what made you, what, so tell me about Luminate Labs. A great name. How did you, how did you get that name? <laughs> right. The whole, the whole idea is to help shine a light on some of the most important topics impacting, you know, the world of leadership and work today, while simultaneously the idea of helping people, you know, reveal and expose their, their light within the idea that we all have this light within and it requires work to guard it and protect it and to, um, to bring it forth to the world in a really positive and, and influencing factor. Uh, the birth of Luminate was really a culmination of two factors. My wife, comes from the traditional media background. She's been in broadcasting and both in front of the tele, in front of the camera and behind the camera for almost two decades. She was coming out of the traditional news space and feeling a little frustrated with just the morning news routine of waking up at two o'clock in the morning, but having this very, very deep... <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's hard to have a really well balanced life when um, you know everything revolves around being in bed by six p.m. As you can right. imagine, right. and so she was she was coming out of that world, but just you know fiercely passionate about media and creating content that inspired people, and um, and I was really feeling like I wanted to find ways to take the in-room experience of our live events when we've got live audience members at our, you know, our speaking events and conferences and to create a true community, a platform that would allow individuals to not only continue to access our thought leadership, but that we could curate uh, insights and thought leadership from other quote unquote luminaries from all walks of life. And so for the last two years, we actually were in 
building process of building out Luminate, which which lives at justluminate.com. And uh, and really what it is, is it's serving as a, as a hub today for sort of what we call the next generation of leaders. And I, I, we don't mean it to be millennial focused by any stretch, but just next generation of leaders, meaning sort of the the individuals that are on the precipice in the next decade will be stepping into the key leadership positions, not not only in the in the private sector, but in the in the public sector and at all levels of society that will shape essentially all of our existence and creating a, a platform and a community for them to gather together, access our insights, access the insights of luminaries that we've reached out to. And most importantly, and this is the feedback we get from people who interact there, is to learn from one another and to share what they're going through, what's working, what's not. And uh, it's been a wonderful adventure. And so the media portion of it is a new adventure for myself and, and our team of just researching, taking on a hand of small consulting clients and then speaking has been the full-time work for you know the last five years uh, and then five years before that but but the platform the media company itself is a rather new adventure um, and it's an interesting adventure to also launch something with your significant other and your spouse and yeah. learning how to be business partners and and husband and wife team at the same time has That's has fun. been a really fun adventure yeah, I bet it has. But, you know, believe it or not, this is just whizzing by. The, sh- the show is just whizzing by. And I have some questions from uh, the chat that I'd like to ask you when we come back from um, when we come back from break. But we have to take a quick break and stay with us. We're talking Beautiful. to Seth Madison. And Seth, how do you say your last name? Matt Madison? Matt Madison? Matt, just, just as if it was a D, like the city of okay. Wisconsin, Madison. Madison. Okay, great. And uh, a great illuminary future. So stay with us. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Hi, welcome back. And you've joined another episode of Future Proof Workplace, and we've got some really interesting things uh, to be talking about here. And I'm talking with Seth Madsen, who is Illuminate co-founder, and I love his title, Chief Movement Officer. I said CEO before, but <laughs> Chief Movement Officer, I really uh, I really love that. And I love the, what you talked about in terms of, you know, sort of co-creating the, the leadership concepts of the future. But I have two questions here that came in from uh, the chat room that I think are really interesting. And the first one is, Please. how do you... How do you see things changing? And then the second one is, with all of the technology out there, don't you feel like humans are getting phased out? Both really interesting questions. So so what, what do you see as changing? Big, big, big questions. And obviously what's changing, there's a lot changing. I'm going to tell you what I'm most interested in and where we've sort of directed a lot of our focus in terms of our research as of late as to 
what's changing and how we see the world of work changing. We believe, based on the research, that the future is being defined right now by two forces. Mm -hmm. This is kind of how we frame it up. Future is being defined by two forces, and those two forces are essentially what we would call hierarchies and networks. And these two forces, hierarchies and networks, have, have actually been battling it out for centuries. We are just now witnessing a new iteration of this battle between these two forces. So if, if you think about it, we are moving very quickly into this, this, I think, a period of time that will become to be known as the age of the networks all around us, right? We're living in an existence based on networks, networks of information and resources, talent, people, entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. But the challenge we find most leaders today, most individuals inside traditional organizations face with embracing this new hyper-connected networked world is that for most of them, myself included, we have come of age in a world where the structures and more importantly, the deeply embedded culture of the hierarchy has been our reality. And today, these two worlds, this new emerging world of the network in our existing historical traditional world of the hierarchy, they're battling it out. And the tension between them is, is playing out literally at every single level of society. You see it playing out from uh, institutional government-wise across countries. You see it playing out inside large companies, inside regular companies. And so a lot of our work has been about Okay, as we move into this, which technology is fueling this new networked world, right? They're going hand in hand and it's hyper connected and it's fluid and it's flexible, but we're steeped in hierarchy. And, and, and what I find fascinating with our audiences and with our clients is that, you know, we'll just throw a simple image of a hierarchy up and people will often sort of sit back and think, well, it's just an org chart. Like, how does that really influence us? But as you dive into the, into the research behind it and the, and the psychology, Psychology, one of my, my, my favorite lines is hierarchical structures are mirrored in our assessments, thinking, and mental models. They form the basis of our understanding and the very nature of our reality. These structures have literally rewired our brains and the way we see everything around us. They form our our, our mental models and the leadership paradigms, right? And so we're yeah. like fish in water, unaware of the water around us. Yeah, very interesting. And it's going to take a lot. I mean, I do think that there's a huge collision around that. And I, I do think it's shaped the brain. And, and it has shaped our, really our understanding of the world. But that seems to be some of the tension also, Seth, I think, between this whole view of global networks and global interrelationships mm -hmm. and local country hierarchies, you know, and, and we seem to be fighting this agree. political arena as well. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see as companies more and more bleed into each other from a network perspective because they need each other to do some of the sort of human capacity things that they have the capability to do. It's a fascinating analogy that you're using. 
I, I, I appreciate that. And I do think you're right. You sort of alluded to it there. And that is, you know, as we started to look at how, what, what does it mean for the future? Do we mean that the future is going to sort of, you know, blow up the hierarchy and, and all institutions and organizations will be operating in sort of nebulous network-like structures as we move forward? And where we've sort of landed based on the research and just the time inside companies is that the future is really going to be a balancing act between the two of them. For, for most, if we're, if we're talking particularly about inside organizations, they're, they're just not going to blow up their org chart. They're just not. You know? I mean, 99% of our audience members and, and clients, they're just not in that position. But it's going to become a situation of can we have enough self-awareness to recognize and understand where does it serve us and where is it holding us back and preventing us from, from being able to fully and truly embrace this new fluid network-like world. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating because I don't think anybody really has the answer, but it's going to collide a lot faster now than it ever did over the previous centuries, that's for sure. Completely so, agree. Completely. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. Um, do you feel like humans are going to be phased out and going to be sort of superfluous? What, what are your thoughts on that? No, there, I, I believe that there'll always be roles for humans. You know, will we need to evolve and shift? Will we be working in hand in hand in partnership with with more technology, with more machines? Yes, but you know, uh, I, I'm I'm not. It's not something that keeps me awake at night. To be perfectly honest with you, do am I very mindful of the fact that you know some things are going to go away, new opportunities are are going to emerge. What it's going to require of all of us is to really fully embrace and step into that mindset and that ethos of being lifelong learners and pursuing that, you know, to continue to learn and grow and evolve. And I think if we do that and we, we seek out where, 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 where does the human element still lie and is it needed and required in the marketplace, humans will always have a role and maybe even to personalize it as individuals listening to this and, and us on this right now, as long as we can continue to learn and grow and evolve and stay smart, um, we will have a role. Yeah. I, it's, it's futile to fear it. Right. Yeah, you know, I really think that that's true. And I think, you know, particularly at the, the conference that you and I are both speaking at, it's interesting because as you're looking for talent and everybody who's listening to this, you need to think about are people that you're hiring, are they learners? Is it in their curious? And if they're not, it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that they are not going to be able to adapt as quickly uh, to all the new changes because you don't even know what the jobs are going to be like five years from now, right? Completely, completely agree. Completely agree. What the other element that I would add to that is. You know, not, not not only that that inner desire of curiosity and to be willing to to learn and grow, but with growth comes a willingness to be okay with failure and right. to develop resiliency around that. Of like, it's going to require you to be in situations where you're continuously feeling uncomfortable, which right. in my opinion is really the definition of growth is to put yourself in states where you are feeling uncomfortable and you're not going to be great at those new things right away. And so can you live in a perpetual state of feeling a little outside of your comfort zone, you know, a, a 
a little bit stretched, making mistakes to forgive yourself and to create an environment around you where you encourage other people to do the same. If you don't have resiliency, if you don't have the ability yourself to, to fail and pick yourself back up, you're going to really struggle. Right. So that explains my golf game, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, I'm sorry. Is there some growth? Is there some I'm, growth I'm and some struggle happening there? From that. <laughs> that's so hilarious. Just, so, so that's one to say, you know, curious learners um, that is so important. But you also talk about, and I agree with you on this point, by the way, that you need to love people. And if you don't love mm. people, mm. you're not going to be successful. And can you, can you, illuminate on that a little bit on why loving people is going to be important. Sure. You know what? I want to bring it to life. I'll give you a really specific example of where that statement sort of came out of my mouth really loud and clear. It was at an event recently. We had, you know, there was a, I don't know, a few hundred CIOs in the audience, CIO conference. So, you know, all the conversation is around technology, digital transformation, how they future-proof their businesses. And uh, the person that was doing my intro, very successful, very smart CIO, and he gets up in front of the room and he sort of makes an offhanded comment about the fact that he doesn't really like people. Whoa. And... And everyone in the room, like, sort of laughed, right? Like, they sort of got it. It's like, ah, oh, yeah. people are kind of a pain in the butt, and blah, blah, blah. Right. And I got up there, and the, and the, and the, it just sort of came out of my mouth of, like, it's, 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 it's our view. It's our, what we've discovered is that if you want to lead today, it's not about liking people. You have to love people. You have to pour into people. Even if we're moving forward into a world where more and more of the work is going to be taken over by, by machines and technology is going to become a part of more and more of our lives, who's going to pull off those digital transformation initiatives? It's going to require people. Right. And if, if you, if people don't believe that you care about them as human beings, if people don't believe that you have their best interest, at least in mind, as you're trying to build all of, they won't tolerate it today. Our desire for true, real, authentic connection is in such a state that any leader that is not capable of those things no one is going to follow you. And I agree with some of the things you said early on. Of So there's some elements where that's always been true of great leaders <laughs> throughout time. There have, that's not new today. What I would say, though, today is that people are more empowered to yes. demand it than ever before because they don't need you or your company and your job. Right. And they have choices. Yeah. And so while it's not new, I think it's more poignant than ever before for leaders to be able to have the capacity to think about the ideas of love. And, and I'll just make this final comment and, and, and I'll toss it back to you is that sometimes I get people that they'll, they'll look at me with that face of like, you know, you want me to love my people? Like that word feels like it's something that's reserved almost only for your most intimate relationships. And what I want people to know and what I want your listeners to know is that you do not have a finite capacity for love within you. That is not a finite resource. We have an infinite capacity to pour love into those around us. In fact, the more you do, the more reserves you have access to. Uh, 
but you gotta you have to step into that position and and really pour into it. And I think you will see a, a phenomenal shift in how the people around you respond to where you're trying to take them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we talk about heart and we talk about that, you know, the center of leadership is heart and having heart for people that are working with, people that are customers of yours, really, really caring, um, not just yes. official, you know, oh, yeah, we're all about the customer, but but really caring because you're right. People have much more knowledge today. They're much smarter. Every generation is smarter than the last. And uh, whether people, whether you like it or not, that happens to be a truth. And uh, and everybody wants to be loved and cared for. So I, I, I think that that's an absolutely important point. I, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Seth, what you see as the biggest misconceptions about the workforce of the future. And then I want to talk to you about mm. Gen Z. <laughs> the biggest, you, you do or do not want to talk about Gen Z. I'm sorry oh, you, you broke up there for a minute. I want, I want your misconceptions of uh, the workforce of the future, but then I do want to talk about Gen Z. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. You know, I, of course, everything that we always hear, I, you know, the, the most common topic that comes up is there's no work ethic, no work ethic and no loyalty. I just, and it's like, it's been years of it. It's quite, it's, it's boring to me when these leaders say this at this point of like, are we really still here? Are we really still talking about this? Because I'm like, oh, we, I can point to thousands of young people who are working, you know, 12, 15, 18, 20 hour days to bring products and ideas and visions and companies to life. It's not a generational thing. Is there... Is there, are there new requirements? Are, will people show up and work hard just for the sake of working hard today? Uh, are, are some of those values shifting a little bit? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a possibility. I mean, you can sort of debate that. I, I, I haven't seen any, and maybe someone has access to it. Maybe you do, Linda. I haven't seen any actual data or science behind that. But the, the entire worker-employee-employer uh, relationship dynamic is evolving. And I think part of that, why people are demanding more in that experience is because for a long time, and it's not that long ago, work was a place that you could go to and you could at least leave and get away from it. Your work and your, and your, your quote unquote life were separate things. And so if work kind of sucked, quite frankly, and again, many leaders mindset was, listen, I pay you a fair salary in exchange for your time. My job is not to help you self-actualize as a human being. Uh, but now if your work experience is terrible, you can't get away from it because we're connected 24 seven. Yeah. You never leave it. Absolutely true. That and is so you're absolutely demanding a better experience. Yeah. Yep. I, I think that's absolutely true. So uh, Seth, we're at break again. And so stay with yep. us we're talking to Seth Madsen, a fascinating discussion about the future of work. Um, and uh, we'll be back after this break. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. 
To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Hi, welcome back. We're talking to Seth Madsen and uh, Luminate co-founder, chief movement officer, and at some point I'm going to hear about that title. I'm sure there's a story behind it. <laughs> and, and, and we're talking about technology, the future of work, what leaders are really going to have to do. And there's an interesting question that came in. I love this question because I, I'm sure you get this all the time too, Seth. Um, you know, people are like, oh, do you think that what's the work ethic of those Gen Xers? You know, there's cartoons about it. And I always say to people, well, you know what? You better get used to it because you got Gen Z now coming down the pike. And there's always going to be a new yeah. Gen X who is different from you and what you think. So that sort of leads us into this generational discussion. So what do you think? So I'm really excited about Generation Z. Um you know, I think the, the, the three words that come to mind right away when I think about Gen Z are resilient, resourceful, and realistic. Resilient, resourceful, and 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 just highly, highly realistic. You got to understand. You know, these, these are the youth born out of the wake of the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and so they saw. You know, one in seven saw one or both of their parents lose a job during the Great Recession. Many of them who had older siblings that were of the millennial generation, they saw them graduate with, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars in college or student loan debt, yeah. only to find themselves underemployed by taking jobs at Starbucks or wait, you know, waiting tables, etc. And right. so there is this, there is this sense of nothing is promised, nothing is guaranteed. You are going to have to go and work hard. I think, you know, the idea of a of a little bit more stability and security with this generation has increased. Even their view of, I have an event next week for um, the the trades associations and, and the universities that are, are educating on the trades. And uh, in interviewing and doing focus groups with Gen Z's in in preparation for that event, even just the perception of the trades has shifted from where with the millennials, maybe it wasn't quite as sexy, it wasn't as cool, you know, to be a carpenter or a plumber or a mechanic or fill in the blank. For many Gen Zs now, it's like these are these are highly sought after and 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 useful skills that will keep you employed and, and make you useful in the marketplace. They're also but they've been able to because they're truly digital natives, they've been able to learn, you know, it's like you can watch a YouTube video and learn how to develop a lot of these skills. So they're learning differently. And so just some of the mindsets around, you know, when I think about what do employers, owners, leaders worry about work ethic, loyalty, I'm going to train these people, they're going to leave, you know, some of this is yet to be seen, right? Because Gen Z is just now starting to enter the workplace. If you go off of the, the numbers of being born between roughly 1996 and 2010, the oldest members are just now entering the workplace. But I think we're going to see a group that is um, a, a little bit more loyal, a little bit more concerned about you know, just a, a stable, secure career and jo- job and um, and putting in the time. What worries me a little bit is that, you know, there, there has been a little bit of um, they've been they've been saved from from some failure. And, mm. and so some of the res- and I know that's a broad statement. I, and I, I hesitate to just make big, huge, broad based 
strokes when we're talking about a generation. That's, but that's part of what we're doing. So mm-hmm. the Gen Zers on the, on the, uh, that are listening in, I don't want you to take offense to this, but there is some of that developing, you know, that, that resiliency and that, that willingness to, to fail and pick yourself up. And if someone tells you no or turns down your idea to not wilt and melt and know that's just a part of the process. We're going to have to work on that, on that area, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. You know, I have another good friend who um, has written a lot of books on, on this subject, and she's doing some research on Gen Z. And uh, interesting, it sort of parallels with the things that you're observing that, you know, they did go through the recession and they saw some hard times and they're much more resilient about all of that than the Gen Xers are. Yes. However, I am not, I you know, again, this is a broad generalization, but I see a lot of very industrious and hardworking Gen Xers out there, you know, who are strapped with a lot of debt and understand that if they want to get forward, they're going to have to buckle down and um, work at some good jobs. I just think that they're not willing to put up with some of the nonsense that we were willing to put up with because they don't have the same fear levels. And and I, I suspect you're not the same generation as I am, but you know, we didn't have the same fear levels of management, of, of bosses, you know, of organizations, yes. many, many more choices than people had, you know, when I was coming up the food chain. A hundred percent. And just because of the, this period of time, what technology and the internet has allowed from the, you know, the explosion of entrepreneurship, you know, it's, and, and even from a social media standpoint, I mean, not, not, not to say that, you know, every person wants to be in, you know, in, Insta famous and an Instagrammer, but it just sort of speaks to like the ability for just about anyone with very little capital, you have the ability to go out and sustain yourself in ways that just weren't possible before. And that doesn't mean that other generations, if they had been, had access to the same tools, wouldn't have done the same thing. They just weren't available to them. And so it, today, more than ever, you can be like, you know what? I don't need your job. I can right. go out and create this on my own. Right. And and I can drive for, I'm not going to say Uber because I'm not supporting Uber anymore, but I can drive for Lyft. <laughs> there you go. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. To, to, to pay my more, you know, to pay my rent or what, what, whatever it is. So I'm, I'm spot on. What, what do you think, Seth, are going to be, and we talked about love and we talked about caring, um, but so, and we talk about information. What are going to be the primary other leadership characteristics of the future? I, I think so. I talk when, when when I talk. If I go back to that idea of hierarchies and networks, we define it as there's five shifts that leaders and organizations have to make to not blow up their hierarchy, but to bridge their gap. And and those five shifts break down as there's a technology shift that has to take place, a process shift, a culture shift, a skilled and competency shift. And then this final one is what we call an inner shift. This inner transformation that has to has to occur. I I love this. There's, there's a saying that that our Otto Scharmer is quoted as saying from MIT. He said, "Before you can create an external shift in your organization, an internal transformation within must first occur." And you talk about leadership skills, competencies. What's required now is this ability to do the inner work. Where does true yeah. growth happen? Right? Where do you go to grow? 
Where do you go to do this inner work, the routines, the rituals? And, and inner work, I think, can manifest in lots of ways. It can just be, it can be a simple walk in nature. It can be obviously meditation, mindfulness practices, uh, journaling and free writing. It's going in and reflecting and, and tapping into something larger than ourselves. It's like deep wisdom lies within, but with all of this technology and, and our schedules the way they are today, I find so many leaders, even well-intentioned, high-performing leaders, we're not making time to go within and to connect to that deep wisdom that we all have been given access to. And you stop hearing that and, and whatever you want to call it. I tell people that all the time, it, you know, connecting to something larger than yourself, you, you, you might call that God, universe, source, your imagination, your intuition, your gut, whatever you want to call it. But we all know where that resides. That skill, that skill set. And, and developing the discipline to form the routines and the rituals to go there, I think is one of the most important leadership elements today. Yeah. And do you think, I mean, this, this was a question that came up in the chat. Now, I'm not totally clear on the question, sure. actually, but, but I think the genesis of it is that there's so much uh, access to information out there that is it you know, is it overload and is it kind of eroding our ability to be mindful and to take time off? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because you can, there's never, you, you can never feel like you've consumed enough. There's always going to be more, right? And so that's where it's trusting this deeper level wisdom of saying all the information and knowledge that you need is out there, but true wisdom lies within. And so you have to, you have to inform yourself enough, you know, so that you can feel confident. But I also think that's where the element of operating from a position of humility comes into play for leaders too, of saying it's, it's virtually impossible for everyone to have access to, you know, to have all of the answers today. You're never going to walk into the room as a leader. And if you think this, obviously it's a very flawed thought, Right. You're not the, you don't have to be the smartest person, but right. you have to, you do have to be, have the humility to say, I don't know. Or there's people sitting around this table who are more knowledgeable right. about it. That right. takes deeper level wisdom and humility to say. I totally agree. And ask the question. I mean, there's things I say to leaders, you know, ask, uh, you know, I call it the alter, alter your behavior model. Ask, listen, Think, respond, and repeat, and just imagine that. if you ask, you know, and then you listen to it, and you and you think about Love it, and, and and you and you do something about it. I, I you know, and and uh, and repeat it. It will become a much more open world. I think at the at the end of the day. So so tell me something, Seth. Um, there's an interesting question here, and I'm, I think we're coming close to the end of the show, but I do want to ask it of you. How do you, oh, we have three minutes to the end of the show, but, and I guess I'm not going to ask this question, but um, <laughs> because of three minutes, but I, I uh, what are the three biggest things that you want our listeners to take away from our discussion today? 
Uh, great question. You know, I would just, if you can operate from a, pl- a position in a place of eternal curiosity, a hunger to continue to learn and grow, a willingness to allow yourself to fail, right? To try new things, to put your, uh, one great self-reflective question every day. I try to ask myself, did I do one thing today that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable? Right? If I keep myself in that space, I, I'm not going to worry about, will I be relevant in the future? I'm going to do it. I'm going to control what, what you can control. I'm very much a, a believer in the Stoics of like a pra- pragmatic control what I can control, keep learning and growing, stay uncomfortable and go do the inner work. Every single one of us has been given this access to this deep wisdom that resides within you, but you got to go there and show up to tap into it. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got to be, yeah, you've got to be, you've got to turn off your devices and spend some time to reflect. Get the phone out of the bedroom. Right, absolutely. Except I use it for my alarm clock, so, you know, that sort of takes me. I know, I know. Get, get, get. Listen, they make this thing called an actual alarm clock. It's amazing. Yeah, that's true. And I also do have one of those in my finger. You've got a good point. You've got a good point. Well, Seth, so how do people get a hold of you? So I'm very easy to find. Personal website is SethMadison.com. That primarily shows, you know, our research and speaking front. The Luminate community that we talked about, uh, that platform uh, lives at just, J-U-S-T, JustLuminate.com. And you're going to see we're curating content from some of today's foremost thought leaders. Linda, we hope to be able to, now that we've been acquainted, hopefully we'll be able to syndicate some of your content. My wife just released a new digital digital series with entrepreneur called project luminary which spotlights thought leaders yeah really excited about project luminary you'll be able to find that on just luminate as well as on entrepreneur.com project luminary and uh and that's sethmadison.com those are the best places to get us well, you know, I'm, I, I hope people reach out to you. I've loved our conversation. I loved it when we uh, talked the other day. And um, I just so greatly appreciate you being willing to be on the show. And I look forward to personally meeting you. I think we have a lot. Likewise. Of, we have a lot in common. Likewise. And uh, I think it's going to be really fun. And I don't know, I think we're going to bookend this conference. And <laughs> hopefully people will I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be great. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the show and and to be in these conversations, Linda. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you too, Seth. And we'll we'll see you soon. And thank you listeners, Future Proof Workplace. And, you know, I love the question that Seth posed. And I I have two for you. Uh, One is Seth's and one is my own. Were you the best that you could be today? Did you make a difference in the world? And secondly, did did, did you make yourself feel uncomfortable so you could stretch and learn? And I think if we ask ourselves those two questions in the morning, how can I stretch myself and be uncomfortable? And how can I contribute and be the best that I can be? And then reflect on that at the end of the day, we will be the kind of leaders that are going to take and make this century one of the best we've ever had. So thank you so much for being with us. And thank you, Seth. And I'll see you soon. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.